Hey there, I'm Melanie Reed, and this is The HR Mentor. Today, I am recording this from my home on the traditional, unceded, and ancestral territories of the Tecumlips Tishikwetmik people. And I want to express my deep gratitude that I am able to live, work, and play on these beautiful lands. You know, there are a lot of reasons to love working in HR. It's interesting and there's a lot of variety. Honestly, no two days will ever look alike if you pursue an HR career. You also have the opportunity to influence and connect with people, which is something that I was looking for when I made the decision to study HR. But a career in HR is not without its challenges. And one of those challenges is that it can be very stressful. And there are a lot of reasons for this. Many professional careers can be stressful, and partly that's because the expectations from your organization increase as you take on more responsibility and you have more accountability in your role. The variety that I enjoy so much can also make it stressful because in many HR roles, especially generalist or advisor roles, you have to respond to a lot of different demands. And so you're shifting gears in your thinking and your approach depending on the situation. It is anything but routine is what I'm saying. Now, another reason why HR can be stressful is that you rarely get all your work done. There will always be the next thing to tackle. Yes, you'll finish a recruitment file and even stressful things like arbitrations and grievances eventually end in some way, shape or form. Maybe not how you would like, but they end. But there will always be another problem to solve, another decision to make or another role to fill. So you never really get that kind of done and dusted feeling. And finally, the same reason you may have been drawn to HR can be one of the biggest stressors, the people. I know, <laughs> there is this long-standing joke in HR circles anyway, that this would be a great career if there weren't any people. People can be challenging, they can be unpredictable, and they can be very emotional. And when there's an issue in an organization or on a team or between two employees, you are often getting it all. Yes, it does make it interesting and full of variety, but it is also very stressful at times. Which is why if you're going to embark on an HR career, which I'm guessing you are if you're listening to this podcast, you're going to need some strategies to help you find a bit of balance in your life so that work doesn't take over and rob you of your family, friends, and joy. So today I wanna to share some strategies to help you manage that stress and achieve some sense of equilibrium between your work life and your life life. You know, the stuff that matters the most. I think you'll find these suggestions practical, realistic, and hopefully very helpful. So let's get started. Welcome to the HR Mentor Podcast, the podcast for emerging HR practitioners to get practical advice, tools, and strategies to build credibility, confidence, and ultimately a fulfilling HR career. 
just before I get into the strategies, I want to share one other perspective. Long, long ago, when I was very early in my career, I had this idea that balance was the goal, that I really could find a way to evenly map out my work and my life so that I didn't really have any stress. At this point in time, I was a new mom and I was desperately trying to keep my shit together physically and emotionally at work. It was not easy, but I kept trying. Then I had this realization that this word balance was not right for me. I was never going to find true work-life balance. And that was certainly a buzzword that was all over the place at the time. What I realized I had to do instead was learn how to shift my priorities. And it took a lot of wading through guilt that I still regularly wade through to figure that all out. The reality is, on a daily and weekly basis, people who work full-time spend more time at work than they do with their families. Right away, just that math shows that there is no true balance or equilibrium. So what I realized is that sometimes I prioritize my work, and sometimes I prioritize my family. When I say yes to a work trip or an after-work event that I will find fun and interesting, I'm prioritizing my career and myself, and that's totally okay. And when I say no to a work project or something extra my employer wants me to take on, and I say no because it will take up too much of my time, I am prioritizing my family. Sometimes the two can mix. I've taken my kids to conferences with me in cool places like Hawaii. And maybe you can call that balance. I just see this whole work-life balance equation as an unrealistic goal for most of us. And we don't need any more unrealistic goals that just make us feel crappy about ourselves because we can't achieve them. We make choices every day on how to spend our time, with whom, and on what projects. And a lot of people have fewer choices. Maybe they don't want to pick the work project, but they need a job to prioritize caring for their family financially. The choices aren't always easy, and they don't always feel like choices to us. But I wanted to share this perspective with you because for years I chased some pretty unrealistic ideals and all it did was generate more stress and more guilt for me. I like to work. I love my job right now. And at times I really loved the work I was doing in my corporate life. I believe my kids are better off in many ways because I do work. Not that not working was a choice I had, but I just think it was best for me and for them. And as I get further along in my career, I don't stress so much about saying no to things. Again, I know a lot of people don't have that luxury, but even if you don't have a choice, know that you're doing the best you can and that feeling guilty about the choices in front of you is not really going to serve you. It's a long way to say that instead of trying to find balance, try to find ways to manage the inevitable stress that a career and a career in HR specifically will cause you. Okay, let's get into these strategies. 
honestly, we're going to start off with one that is a struggle for me. The first strategy I suggest is to set a realistic schedule. And what this means is that as best you can, try to plan your work hours, setting deadlines and prioritizing tasks according to their urgency and their importance. This also means being really clear about your availability and expectations with the people you work with, with your manager, your colleagues, or if you work with clients. A realistic schedule will help you manage your time effectively, and it will help reduce things like procrastination, which often causes people a lot of stress. It'll also help you create some boundaries between your work and your personal time so that you really can switch off when you're done with work and focus on the things that matter to you the most. So here's some tips for setting a realistic schedule. Obviously, no brainer, use a calendar or planner to organize not just your appointments and your meetings, but also your tasks. And make sure that you're blocking out work time for specific projects or activities that you need to complete. So use your calendar for more than your meeting scheduler. It's a good idea to always estimate how long you think something will take and then add a little bit more time onto it just for unexpected things to come up because everything always takes longer than we think. Another good tip is to set reminders or alarms for important deadlines or also for the completion of things that you're working on. And this will help hold you accountable. Of course, communicating your work hours and your availability to your team or other kind of stakeholders or people that care about your calendar, make sure you communicate that clearly with them. I also find it's really good to communicate this with your family. Um, you might think that. It doesn't matter what you do during your workday, but letting your family know when you have an early meeting or when you have something big due at the end of a day, they might give you some more leeway in case you're running behind, or maybe you can get someone else to do something around the house that you would have done in that evening. Whatever it is, my kids are teenagers now, uh, but I always prep my son when I teach an early class because that means we're both having to be out the door and ready first thing in the morning and we have to leave a little bit earlier so that I can get to the university and get parked and get my coffee can't teach a class without a cup of coffee and and we can all be there on time days that I don't teach first thing in the morning I let him sleep a few minutes longer because I'm not too worried if I get to work a few minutes later, okay? So I've really learned to communicate what is going on in my work life so that they understand that. Now, here's the important part. If you make that schedule, respect your own schedule. Respect yourself and stick to it as much as possible. I know this is hard. I love the planning stage of these types of things. This is why it's a struggle for me. And then when I get into it, I find that I tend to give up too easily. So I don't really respect my own schedule. I let other people's demands on me creep in and then I usually just give up. So don't do that. Really try and be respectful of your own schedule. Now, it's only going to work if you make your schedule and you make it flexible. Because, you know, you work in HR and HR will do its thing. 
So you can't always control everything that's going to come up that could be urgent. So one way to make this work is to leave some gaps in your calendar for the unexpected to come up. So creating a bit of not only a buffer on things you schedule, so for some some overrun in the time, but also just just leave some blank spaces. Don't schedule yourself from 8.30 to 4.30 and expect that to be realistic. So if you block 90 minutes to work on something, don't book a meeting right after the end of it. Leave yourself a buffer time, okay? We've If you're working from home or you've been doing lots of remote meetings, sure, it's easy to go from one meeting to the next to the next to the next without physically having to go anywhere. But then you also don't leave yourself a chance to reset your thinking. Maybe they're very different types of meetings. It doesn't allow you to have any bio breaks. So make sure that you leave some buffer in. Now, the second strategy is to make post-work plans. Yes, post-work plans. So this is something that I've been working on over the last year especially. And what it does is it prevents you from working too much in the evenings and on weekends. So it prevents that work creep from filtering into your personal time. So when you have something to look forward to after work, such as a hobby, a social activity, or something you like to do that's relaxing, when you're doing it, you're going to think less about work because you're busy. You're not just, you know, sitting on the couch watching Netflix. And this will help keep you from reading emails, grabbing your laptop and just finishing up a few things while you kind of half watch your show. It'll also help motivate you to finish your work on time and get your butt home at a decent time so that you can engage in your plans. So whatever it is you like doing this year, I joined a curling club that the university was putting on and it was just once a week. But in the wintertime when it's dark, like I want to come home at 4.30 and put pajamas on and then and then just sit there. But what I end up doing is I end up working. So having to have dinner, get changed, go out in the cold, have a lot of fun trying something that I haven't really done much of and also socializing. Well, I don't think about work at all. And when I get home, it's bedtime. So I know at least one night a week, I'm not even thinking about work at all. So it can really help help motivate you, but it also keeps you from thinking about work in non-work time. Of course, having something fun to do outside of work also really helps you de-stress. Here are some things that you can do to incorporate this strategy into your life. Remember your schedule? Let's start there. Schedule some time for yourself every day, right? Whether it's a run or like I did with curling, maybe it's scheduling a phone call with a friend one day a week. You set aside an hour and that's your friend catch up time. So you call a different friend every week, something like that. You could pursue a hobby or interest, of course, that brings you joy. Like I said, connect with your family and friends during that time. You could join a club or a community that shares your passion. Maybe you've always wanted to be an actor. Maybe that was your passion in high school. So go join a non-professional acting group and and make that be your once a week or twice a week thing that you do. Whatever it is, really treat yourself to something outside of work time. 
Now, if you have a young family, this is hard. But if you can schedule things with your kids that, you know, they can handle in the evening, um, even if it's just a change of scenery. So after dinner, you go to the park and have an ice cream or just go for a walk, something like that. Because if you're not physically around your devices, um, you're less likely to be working. All right, strategy number three is to develop achievable goals, achievable goals. There is nothing better to increase your stress than having a bunch of unattainable goals to feel guilty about. You are one person. So if you're going to set goals, make sure that they're realistic and measurable objectives for yourself, both work and personal goals. Personal goals that are unattainable are also very stressful. Achievable goals are going to help you focus on what matters the most. And if you have a chance of achieving them, you can track your progress and you can celebrate your achievements. And then this has a sort of snowball effect because it'll encourage you to set more realistic goals that you can check off your list and celebrate. But if you set a bunch of unattainable goals and you don't achieve them, then you're probably not going to try setting new goals. Very few of us learn from that mistake and then go back and think, okay, it wasn't really that I couldn't get this done or that, you know, I wasn't motivated enough. It was the goal that was the problem, right? So try and create achievable goals. It will give you something to focus on, but it will also take away some of the overwhelm and guilt that unrealistic goals put on us, right? They make us feel like we have to be perfect and that we're not meeting expectations, even if they're only expectations for us. This also goes in the work setting. So if your boss says to you, you know, they'd like you to take on this project, fabulous. You think you can handle this project and they come back to you and they say, when do you think you could get it done? Be realistic when you give them an answer. I know when you're new in your career, you're going to tend to give something or tell them something that you think they want to hear. And it may be unrealistic for you, but then you're setting an expectation that you can't accomplish. And what will happen is you will either kill yourself trying to get it done in that time frame, or you're going to have to go back to them and renegotiate that deadline. So just make it realistic to begin with. If you get it done a day early, beautiful. Under promise, over deliver. That makes everybody happy. But don't, don't set yourself up for more stress and possibly for failure by creating unrealistic goals or deadlines. How do you make sure they're achievable? Well, you all know the SMART framework. So make it specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and put some timelines around it. A good idea is to take a big goal and break it down into smaller steps or milestones, right? And then that's sometimes easier to plan out because we don't know how long it's going to take to do the whole thing. Of course, writing things down um, and reviewing them regularly can help keep you on track and let you know if you need to adjust kind of the bigger timeline. It's also good to get feedback and support from others. Write out your goal and share it with somebody and ask them to say, do you think this is realistic? Because they might recognize some things that are going on in your life or in your job that you haven't anticipated that could be setting you up 
to not be successful. So always get feedback. And then of course, when you do accomplish a milestone or a quick win or the whole goal, reward yourself. It's really important that you recognize your successes. We spend so much time beating ourselves up over what we don't get done or what we don't do perfectly. When if we just spent a little more time recognizing our accomplishments, we would feel so much better about ourselves and we would feel more capable of going ahead and taking on new things. One little exercise I did, I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast yet, but one little exercise I did um, in my New Year's intention setting that I heard on another podcast, can't remember which one it was, but I wrote down everything I did last year because I was starting to feel like I looked back on some of the goals I'd set and, you know, I achieved a lot of them, but some of the big things I didn't quite get to and I, I was feeling a little bit bad about myself. And so I went through this exercise and I wrote down everything I did in a year. Oh my gosh, I filled up like three pages in my journal of these things that I had done. And some of them were pretty big and some of them were smaller, but were significant to my family. Um, I remember, you know, writing a little bit about my daughter's graduation and the amount of time we spent just celebrating it, but also preparing for it and all of the things that we did together as a family. It was a lot. So, you know, be be kind to yourself when it comes to setting goals. Another way, good segue to being kind to yourself and also to help you manage your stress is strategy number four, which is to take proper breaks. Now, before I explain this, I'm going to confess that I am terrible at this. Absolutely terrible. But I do know that when I take good breaks, I am less stressed and I do better work when I come back to it. Plus, I'm less cranky, which makes everybody all around me happier. <laughs> so when I'm talking about taking proper breaks, I mean giving yourself some time to rest and recover from work stress or whatever you're doing throughout the day. Leaving work early and working through lunch, something I did a ton of when my kids were little, is not taking a break. All that's doing is getting you to your next bunch of work faster. So taking proper breaks is going to help you maintain your physical and mental health. It's going to boost your productivity and creativity. And it's most importantly going to prevent you from getting burnt out and, of course, cranky. Don't be like me and take your darn breaks. Here's some suggestions or tips to help you do this. Schedule them. Again, going back to strategy number one, make that schedule. Schedule your breaks throughout the day. Plan a morning coffee. Plan a lunch break or an afternoon walk. If you work in a workplace where there are other people around, it's so much easier because other people will be going for walks or will be sitting down and playing a game over the lunchroom table. Do those things. Try not to fill your lunch breaks with errands and eating at your desk. That goes to this point, which is avoid working during your breaks or multitasking. That's what I'm guilty of is eating my lunch in front of my desk and thinking I'm working. Again, I'm not doing either very consciously and so it's probably affecting my digestion and I'm also not really getting very much work done. I'd be better off just taking 30 minutes, sitting in the lunchroom, talking to some folks and focusing on eating my food. It's also a good idea when you take breaks to do something relaxing and enjoyable. So if you like reading, 
maybe do a short meditation, listen to music, go for a walk, whatever it is, get away from your computer and your phone. If you work inside all day, let the sun hit your face, even in the winter time when it's cold, if it's sunny, just just getting some fresh air can really help. And if you can do something physical, even mildly physical, do a little stretching, release some tension, get your blood circulating. We all do a lot of sitting. I have stand-up desks, but I still feel like I feel it even if I stand too long. So standing is not just an antidote to sitting. <laughs> you have to get up and physically move around a bit. Again, use your schedule. Um, if you have a smartwatch, my watch, I didn't program it to do this. Uh, it did it automatically, but it will vibrate on my arm if I've been sitting too long and it'll show me these two little feet walking. And I can hit not now, but often when I feel it, I'm like, oh yeah, I've been sitting for a while. So then I get up and I just go for a little walk, go refresh my water, my tea or something, and I've got the circulation going again. Really important for your stress, but also for your physical health. All right, strategy number five, create a designated workspace. So this goes for all you work from home folks, even if you only work from home part of the time like I do. This strategy means you're going to set aside a specific area in your home or in your office area where you do your work. Having a designated workspace will help you separate your work life and your personal life, especially if you work remotely or you have a flexible schedule. Otherwise, what happens is everything just sort of mashes together and you're pretty much always working. But sometimes you're not fully working, so you're not really focused on that, and you're always kind of living your personal life, but sometimes not really fully because everything is just sort of getting mucked together. So as much as you can, try to keep the two separate. The analogy I thought of with this, kind of a weird one, but like when you were a kid and you didn't want your food touching other food, I know some people are still like this, and that's cool. But let's imagine your carrots couldn't touch your potatoes. Do that. Potatoes are your work and carrots are the rest of your life. The two shall not touch. Now I'm hungry. It is almost lunchtime though. But try and as much as you can separate it. If you don't do this, and, and again, this is one that I'm guilty of because sometimes I like to get out of my home office and I go work at the island or the kitchen table, but then I get everything spread out and then I'm always looking at work. So then I go to make something to eat and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at work and I feel like I should be working. Okay, but really you're taking a break. So as much as you can, separate it. Try and create a quiet, well-lit space that you're going to feel comfortable working in. Um, I know that's not possible for everybody, so do the best you can. Try and have everything you need to do your work. And try and jazz it up a little bit and make it nice so that you feel happy to go there. If you like plants, have a plan to put some artwork from your kids or photograph something that's going to make you feel comfortable being there. And then, of course, you might have to set some ground rules with your family or roommates if you do work from home about your work hours and also about your privacy and Nobody in my house comes in my office, really. The cats like to come up in here and chew paper sometimes. But for the most part, this is my little messy space and everybody stays out of it. Last strategy, be kind to yourself. This means taking care of your physical, mental and emotional well-being. 
Now, I know you've heard me say this before, but when it comes to stress and managing the sort of push and pull of work and life, being gentle and kind with yourself is so important. It's going to help you feel happier. It's going to help you be healthier and it will help you perform better at work and enjoy it. It will also help you enjoy the other part of your life, your personal life. Being good to yourself is going to help you cope with stress and challenges much more effectively. How can you be good for yourself? Well, there's lots of things you can do. Some of the things I like is I feel better when I eat well and when I drink lots of water. So simple thing I can do throughout the day, make good choices with my food and I'm always constantly walking around with water. Try and get enough sleep and rest. I know this is hard when you're balancing different priorities, but sleep is so important. I didn't learn this when my kids were babies. It took me till, you know, the last few years to really prioritize sleep. Maybe just I'm getting older and I feel like I need it more, but it sure does make a difference. So try and get as much rest and sleep as you can. If you can exercise, if you're physically able to, even if it's a small amount for short periods of time, that can help your mental health as well. If you are drawn to meditation or mindfulness, do a little bit of reading on that. Practice either of those. Um, they certainly can help you focus on one thing at a time and also help you de-stress. If you have someone you can talk to about your feeling and your emotions, you know, I had a conversation with my daughter this morning. We were just sitting, um, having a coffee before she went to work and she just had a lot on her plate. And so she did a little download and she said, hey, I'm just, I'm just getting this out. Perfect, right? If you have somebody that you can share those things with, sometimes just getting it off your chest can help. Of course, if you need help or support, professional or otherwise, do not be afraid to ask for it. This is self-care. This is you loving yourself. So make sure that you do reach out when you need to. And finally, laugh as much as you can. Laughter is so healing. Surround yourself with people that make you laugh. Watch a funny show. It's such a good de-stressing mechanism, laughter. So do what you can. Find something funny to watch or do. My go-to is always the change-up. Uh, with Jason Bateman and Ryan Reynolds, that movie, I do not know why. I've seen it so many times. It's goofy, but it just makes me laugh. If you have a go-to movie that makes you laugh or feel good, go watch that. All right. So today I shared six strategies to help you manage your stress. And I want you to try them out in your own life. See what works for you. It's not a one-size-fits-all concept. It's about finding what works best for you and adjusting as you need to. You are you, so you have to do you when it comes to your life and your work stress management. But try something. Don't let it go to chance because that's often a recipe for not managing your stress and creating overwhelm and possibly burnout, which, of course, none of us want. And don't forget, you can always find links to related episodes in the show notes, wherever you're listening to this podcast, and you will find a link to sign up for the fan club membership site and my newsletter. As you may or may not know, the HR Mentor Fan Club is a virtual space where you can get access to bonus episodes of the podcast, free resources and downloads, as well as a chance to access special discounts on future programs. So be sure to check that out. Of course, if you're loving the HR Mentor podcast, don't be shy. Please like 
wherever you're listening, subscribe and leave a review. You can leave a review on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts and in some of the podcast aggregators as well. Please share your love. If you do leave a comment, I might just read it out on a future show. As always, thank you so much for listening. Your time is greatly appreciated. Take care. Make sure you have some fun this week. Bye for now.